Hello, everyone, and welcome to Culture of Health, a podcast about health equity issues. On this podcast, we will talk with healthcare professionals about the issues you care about and hear stories of compassion to help you navigate the world of healthcare with dignity, care, and humanity. I'm your host, Scott Acord. With me today are Dr. Nwando Anioku, Chief Health Equity and Clinical Innovation Officer for Providence. We also have Dr. Richard Allen Williams, founder of the Association of Black Cardiologists. Currently, he is the Clinical Professor of Medicine at the UCLA School of Medicine, where he has been a faculty member for 46 years. He received an AB degree with honors from Harvard as a pre-med student and was the first Black person from the state of Delaware to attend Harvard in its history. He also performed a cardiology fellowship at Brigham and Williams Hospital and Harvard Medical School as their first Black postgraduate trainee in any field. He received a Lifetime Achievement Award in 2004 for opening the school up to admitting and training Blacks. Authored a 900-page textbook of Black-related diseases in 1975 and Blacks in Medicine in 2020. Both books are in the archives of the Smithsonian African American Museum of Culture and History. And recently, he received the U.S. Presidential Lifetime Achievement Award Gold Medal from President Biden in recognition of a half century of accomplishments in reducing health care disparities and increasing health equities. Over the course of the next two episodes, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We're going to be celebrating Black Americans who have made significant contributions to the field of medicine. In the first episode, we will be focusing on the historical figures whose contributions to medicine are even more significant when you understand the considerable obstacles from which they had to overcome, such as racism, segregation, and income inequality. Many, if not most, Black medical students faced discrimination from their peers, professors, and patients, and they often had limited access to resources or mentorships. Welcome, Dr. Annie Oku and Dr. Williams. Thank you both for joining us on this special edition of Culture of Health. When you look at the distinguished doctors or healthcare professionals of the latter half of the 19th century or first half of the 20th century, who stands out for you for the contributions they made? Dr. Williams, is there someone you can point to who you think has really made a significant contribution to healthcare? Well, it's hard to choose because there's so many, but I would uh, suggest starting with someone who is one of my heroes, and that's Dr. Daniel Hale Williams. Uh, uh, And uh, that's not because of the fact that we have the same last name. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, if uh, I might, if I may, I elaborate on uh, why I choose him. Uh, Dr. Daniel Hale Williams was a, a black surgeon uh, heart surgeon back in the uh, latter half of the uh, 19th century. And specifically, he was a, a heart surgeon in the city of Chicago. Uh, he started the first black hospital, black owned and operated hospital, Provident Hospital in that city. And also, Uh, very specifically, was responsible for doing what is arguably the first operation on the living human heart. That's very, very important to recognize. So he is a true trailblazer, not only because of that, 
but also because of one other thing that he did. He co-founded the National Medical Association, which is uh, still surviving today after more than 125 years. Uh, he did that along with uh, 12 other doctors, 11 other doctors. And um, that is a very, very important accomplishment, which we are deriving benefits from today. So I'd like to suggest Dr. Daniel Hale Williams as a, a hero uh, in regards to what has happened about uh, forwarding uh, the uh, picture in uh, healthcare disparities and uh, health equity. When you think about him and others at his time, it, it feels like it must have been nearly impossible for him to get to that position. The obstacles he overcame, can you, can you imagine what they were? Do you know like how hard that must have been for him? I can certainly imagine it. And uh, I'd like for Dr. Anyuku to uh, uh, offer up some comments on that as well, because I'm sure that we both can identify with the obstacles that Dr. Williams and others went through. And in particular, uh, he was a, a black physician uh, surrounded by an all white um, medical fraternity, uh, so to speak, uh, and was not really accepted. He could not become a member, for instance, of the American Medical Association uh, because of his race and color. And uh, that uh, specifically uh, denied him the opportunity to uh, uh, get patients to, on which to practice. He also uh, was not able to practice at the existing white hospitals at that time. And so his patients uh, that he saw in private office would have to be taken care of in hospital by white doctors until he started his own hospital, Provident Hospital uh, in Chicago. So those are some of the obstacles that he faced. Uh, discrimination, inability to join into the general practice of uh, uh, surgery and cardiology at that time uh, and inability to forward his practice in a in an undiscriminated way i absolutely can agree thank you for for that detail dr williams i think that the challenges that uh, dr daniel hill williams and the people of his time faced unfortunately are not strange to the people of our time um, we, they look a little different, but the challenges of navigating a space um, in which we're so few um, continue to be challenging. Um, and we can really go in great depth about it. Um, you know, just the structural changes that Dr. Daniel Hill Williams had to deal with, where he couldn't practice in a white hospital, he could not have his, you know, those things were like walls. And some of those walls physically have come down. Uh, and yet the, the challenge of, of getting equitable care for um, black patients continues and they show up in different ways. I, you know, when I think about who inspires me in this journey um, of, of the, that, that generation or even earlier, I think about Rebecca Lee Crumpler. 
uh, Rebecca Lee Crumpler was the first black woman, black African-American woman to become a physician, right? And, and, you know, as we talk about Dr. Daniel Hill Williams as a man, a black man getting into that space as a woman had basically had, a black woman had two strikes, right, <laughs> against her and was really thinking about how, you know, she was born in 1831 which has been a minute. And if you can think about what the world looked like at that time, um, you know, women were available to provide care, but there wasn't really a structure for you to go to school and become a physician. Um, she spent much of her career caring for women and children um, during her time working for the Freedmen's Bureau, um, which was established by President Lincoln to um, assist formerly enslaved African-Americans. And, um, over time, she was able to um, get to medical school. I think it was called the the Female Medical College of Boston, which is so cool. <laughs> I don't think it would have anything named that way today, but it, this is what it said, that we were going to train women. And she got to be the first Black woman to, to um, occupy that space uh, when she graduated in um, 1864. She subsequently wrote a book, which is also near and dear to my heart. Um, she talked about, it was called A Book of Medical Discourses. And it, talk, it was dedicated to mothers and nurses who were focusing on the care of women and children. So I'm a pediatrician, this is my space. And you know everything that she did just shone a light on what it meant to take your, your life, your authentic life and bring it into service. It was the first medical text ever written by an African-American woman Woman. And we've had many more over the years now start to follow in her footsteps. Um, there are giants who continue to write texts that are, you know, specifically apply to the African-American experience. Um, Dr. Williams on this panel has been um, a leader in this space as well. So I want to call out uh, kudos to him um, for uh, his cardiology text. Um, but, you know, the challenges that Black physicians and caregivers have had to deal with through the years really make you think about how important it is to have Black physicians and caregivers in this space because your lived experience gives you that extra push to overcome the challenges on behalf of, of your community, on behalf of people who look like us. Um, so I, I think about that as we have this conversation today. I'd like to just make a one comment about Dr. Uh, Rebecca Lee Crumpler, and that is that uh, when she graduated from uh, medical school, it uh, her degree read Doctress of Medicine, not Doctor of Medicine. Are you aware of that, Dr. No, I wasn't. That's pretty amazing. Right. I can even, because it was the female medical college. <laughs> yes. That's that's called amazing. the doctress of medicine. The doctress. I've never heard that term before. <laughs> <laughs> never until today. I'd like to suggest uh, that we consider not only the fact that they were amazing in being able to carry on medical practices despite, despite the obstacles uh, that were presented to them, but also the uh, things that they did that affected future generations. You mentioned that Dr. Crumpley wrote this, this uh, very important book. Uh, and uh, I mentioned that 
uh, Dr. Williams uh, was a co-founder of the National Medical Association and their accomplishments uh, in those spaces still resonate today. And I think it's important for us to recognize the fact that they were trailblazers, not only in the clinical sense, but also in the sense of being able to establish precedents that uh, were important to uh, decrease healthcare disparities. Absolutely. Dr. Enyoku talked about Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler, you know, and the fact that she had two strikes because she was a woman and she was black. Are there other women who stand out for you at that time frame who you feel like made a significant contribution? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was in the same time frame, but just over the years, there, you know, there are women, black women. Uh, let me see. I can. I'd like to introduce into the conversation Myra Adele Logan. Um, she was born well almost a hundred years after Dr. Crumpler um, in Tuskegee in 1908, and um, she also uh, pursued her education against significant odds. Uh, she was the first woman to graduate from the Boston University School of Medicine in 1933, and she pursued a career in surgery. Um, she was a f she became the first African American woman to perform open heart surgery in 1943 at Johns Hopkins Hospital. And um, she, she did, you know, play a significant role when we think about a lot of the work that happened at Johns Hopkins around cyanotic heart disease, tetralogy of fellow. She, she was a, a big contributor in developing techniques for um, treating cyanotic heart disease. And she she later became the first woman to lead the surgery, the head the surgery department um, at Harlem Hospital in New York. She also served as a role model for women, black women leaders, um, African-American female physicians, you know, continue to inspire future generations of women, especially to consider the field of surgery. Um, so there's, you know, I, I'm just trying to think about those early um, trailblazers for whom there weren't a lot of ex ex examples you know we talk about how important it is for you to see your vision of what you want to be and so how how you create a vision and, and decide to step forward in a space where you don't see too many others that look like you um, is really a, 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 a inspiring legacy that these these folks have left for us over the years and, and continue to, as um, Dr. Williams pointed out, build structure that allows people to come behind them, right? Build structure, leave information, data, books, structures, like um, the, the medical association, thinking about who they're opening the doors for behind them, really, really important. That's a really interesting point. Those early doctors built a structure for others to come behind them and many of those were likely born into slavery. Uh, who was their role model? Were there enslaved people performing medical procedures and healing other enslaved people? Yes. Uh, I, let me elaborate on that a little bit because okay. I've done some writing in that space. Uh, there's the, a group of people that I refer to as slave doctors. Uh, these are individuals who, despite the fact that they didn't have formal medical training, took the initiative to treat their own people. And uh, there are specific examples of them. Uh, one gentleman uh, who 
uh, actually uh, invented the technique of uh, inoculation. Uh, it's called Onesimus. And he lived in Boston in 1721. He, in 1721, that far back, he initiated the technique of inoculation with his master. He was a slave in Boston. His master was a gentleman named Cotton Mather, who was on the faculty at Harvard. And there was a, uh, a smallpox epidemic in Boston. Uh, Cotton Mather was asked to try to impact upon this. And he turned to his slave and asked him what they did in Africa uh, to uh, face this scourge. And essentially, Onesimus taught Cotton Mather the technique of inoculation that had been used uh, to uh, treat cowpox and smallpox in Africa. That initiated that technique a long time before Thomas Jenner, who was uh, given credit for the uh, technique of vaccination and inoculation, uh, it uh, was uh, it came onto the scene years later. So remember the name of Onesimus because uh, the history books, the regular history books, do not contain that his name. My books do. Uh, and uh, this is important to recognize as a, a significant accomplishment. By the way, Onesimus was vilified by the people of Boston, despite the fact that he was a person that, that uh, triumphed over the smallpox epidemic that they were undergoing at that time and saved many lives. They came to Cotton Mather's house and tried to burn it down because they didn't want to uh, be under the impression or under the understanding that a heathen, as they called him, uh, was responsible for their salvation. Isn't that something? Wow. That's something. Yeah. And we definitely need to remember Onus Imus' name. Did I get it correct? Yes. Onus Imus. Onus Yeah. And, and I'm sure he, there were so many others that the history books have omitted, you know. So thank you for including him in, in your work. We still have some time here. And so I would like to bring up another name uh, for, for the two of you to comment on. And that's Dr. Charles Drew and the work that he did. Dr. Anyoku, would you like to comment? Yes, absolutely. Um, Dr. Charles Drew is uh, one of our, our, our giants of history as well. He was born in DC in 1904, um, gifted researcher and surgeon. Um, he made significant contributions to the field of understanding blood plasma and its preservation. He was the first African-American to earn a doctor of medicine degree from Columbia University. And um, during World War II, he led um, the Blood for Britain project, which you know, really refined the collection and processing of blood plasma products uh, which, for transfusion, which, as you can imagine, saved a lot of lives in the war. He revolutionized that blood transfusion field. And um, this was you know, really crucial. And you know, similarly, he was vilified um, for, you know, had faced a lot of racial segregation and people 
he was actually banned from blood banks because similarly folks don't want to feel like they were obliged for their their rescue and their safety their health to um to one who who didn't look like them because of his race so um his advocacy against this um, racial segregation in blood donation led to changes um, within the american red cross he laid the groundwork for blood um, for advancements in blood banking and transfusion medicine that continue to save countless lives today and when you think about the fact that you know we have we always struggle to get blood donations and to have a wide enough spectrum to cover different people i think it's important that you know that african americans and understand that he really helped to establish this practice and that um, he made he put things in place that made it safe and and made it welcoming i guess for want of a better word um, for african americans to um, to donate blood, um, as if you understand all the different aspects that have to match, it's really important that you have a diverse pool of blood donors so that you can serve uh, the diverse population. So his work has been incredibly important. He's been um, anchor for his name. His, there's a medical school in California named after him, which really drives to to support African American physicians um, getting trained and educated. I think that's a very important connection to make, the fact that there is a medical school, which is called the Charles R. Drew uh, University of Medicine and Science here in Los Angeles, where I am. And I have been a member of the board of directors of that school. Uh, uh, I think that that, uh, I think, brings things full circle back to what we started talking about regarding the importance of the contributions and accomplishments of these great doctors who have uh, not gotten the kind of recognition that they deserve. Uh, doing something like naming a medical school for Dr. Drew is extremely important because it, it recognizes not only the accomplishments that he made individually, but also the importance of uh, driving the, uh, the concept that uh, there needs to be special attention paid to medical problems and health problems of minorities. I think the work he has done has been phenomenal and probably millions of lives saved because of his work. As we get near the end of this episode, is there anyone else or anything either of you would like to uh, to say about these early medical pioneers who have not only done some amazing work, but they did it with almost unsurmountable obstacles that were thrown in front of them, if you will. Uh, I'd like to uh, take the opportunity to show you a, a, a painting that I have, if this can be seen. It, uh, we're we're only going to use the audio, but we can we can oh. certainly post that okay. with the episode and on the blog. All right. Well, in any it's event, beautiful. This is a painting yeah. uh, of uh, black doctors that I purchased, uh, and it shows on the uh, the painting Dr. James McCune Smith and Dr. Rebecca Lee Comp uh, Coupler. 
who were early practitioners. Dr. James McCune Smith is arguably the first black doctor who uh, practiced in America uh, and uh, is given that credit. And we already talked about Dr. Crumpler. Uh, so I just wanted to kind of give you that little graphic or visual to look at, even though many people won't be able to see it uh, and call attention to the fact that we need to recognize uh, these early pioneers, not only in word, but in graphics and in our in our culture. Well, I, I think that the the other really important thing is the the graphics give people a picture to dream right if you if you can see it you know and you can see that this is what this can look like it, it's so powerful um that you know to your point it's not just in words but pictures you know we dream in pictures and i think it's really important to to share that uh before we get off this episode if if there's a moment i'd like to mention one other pioneer uh, who doesn't go back to the days of slavery, but uh, earlier in our uh, history in the 20th century, and that is Dr. W. Montague Cobb. Uh, there's a, a building at that uh, Drew Medical School named for Dr. Cobb, who was a professor of anatomy uh, at Howard University College of Medicine, which was the first HBCU a medical school established in the United States in 1860, 1868. Uh, Dr. Cobb was renowned not only for his expertise in the field uh, in which he taught, but also because of the fact that he was the president of the National Medical Association, the president of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, or NAACP, and also established what were called the Imhotep meetings with several presidents of the United States to debate and talk about and lobby for voting rights and for civil rights uh, and was very principally involved in the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So you see that uh, these medical pioneers had a, a great deal of carryover into the social scene and the political scene, which still resonate to today. As we wrap up, I wanna thank you both for helping us honor a few of the many black trailblazers in medicine who laid the groundwork for others to follow in their footsteps and to go on and do great things themselves. Thank you for the conversation. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. To learn more about the men and women we were unable to include in today's program, go to the Providence blog at blog.providence.org. Tune in in two weeks as we continue to celebrate some of today's leading Black healthcare professionals. And please subscribe to The Culture of Health on your favorite podcast platform. And make sure to listen to all of our shows on Lit Live Radio under Future of Health Radio or your favorite podcast platform. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our mission, programs, and services, go to Providence.org. Thank you for listening. And at Providence, we see the life in you.